I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. The Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 22. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Here we are, Andrea Owen of Your Kick-Ass Life, and excited, excited to have a co-host slash guest slash sidekick, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I, um, you know, in, in, in stalking the internet, I'm always looking for people that have really similar, um, you know, personalities to mine, similar ideas, and even similar backgrounds. And I think I found my twin separated at birth. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to introduce to you Miss Trish Blackwell. Say hi, Trish. What's up? That's an awesome interview uh, introduction. <laughs> I love it. Hopefully I can live up to that twin status. But we the do have twins. a lot in common. It's scary. It is kind of scary. I know. And I know we've been, you and I have been corresponding via email for a few months now. And, you know, and every time I go back to your website and I'm reading your story and I'm reading your about page and I'm like, oh my gosh. And Trish and I have just spent the last 20 minutes or so chatting and it's, it's one of those, like, just can't stop talking. Can't stop talking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't need to re We don't need to do a podcast. Let's just talk <laughs> all day. So, um, in lieu of reading your bio, which is sometimes can sound really stuffy and profesh, why don't you introduce yourself to the ass kickers and tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you guys know, my name is Trish. Um, I am a, um, a confidence coach. I am, 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 am super passionate about helping people live the life that they're meant to live, that live the life of their dreams and live life worth telling a story about. Um, actually, much like Andrea, got, we've got a similar history. Um, I, I went through a 10-year-long eating disorder. I, I've had my heart broken. I um, have been a personal trainer for almost 10 years and just just wanted to just, I want to kick the status quo in, the, in its teeth. I want to live a life worth telling a story about, a, an uncommon life. And um, I, I, my business is all about, and my coaching style and my, my website and my podcasts are all about how, you know, let's, let's take life and go live it. Stop, stop thinking about it and droning on and, 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 and take ownership and just roll. Like, I don't know, like life is too short and I really want to make sure I, I celebrate it in every way that I can. Um, and also that others 
learn how to do the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's like, it's like, I feel like with my, um, with my past, I went through some dark phases and I feel like I, I know I like, you know, you feel, and you look back, you're like, shit, I wasted my life. Like mm-hmm. I wasted, I have 10 years where I did, I can't say I contributed anything. Like I got, you know, I got my degrees and on the outside, everything was, was good, but not internally. I wasn't doing anything significant. And it's like, so now I'm just trying to make up for time lost. Mm-hmm. I and then I help. Yeah. I want to help people do the same. Yeah. We have such similar backgrounds. And, and so that's, that's essentially my, my very first question to you is, um, you know, most people listening to this podcast already know my story, which is very similar to yours, but, um, I wanted, I want you to give us a brief background on, on who you used to be. You know, you said you wasted, um, I always say like quote unquote wasted because there's always learning yeah. there. <laughs> it's never a big giant mistake. Yeah. You know, give yeah. us your background and, and what was your big aha moment that brought you to a place of healing your relationship with your body and with food and with exercise. Absolutely. So, so for me, I actually, um, the short story is that I grew up as an athlete, um, kind of one of those like weirdly talented athletes at at the age of 10, I was breaking national records in the pool. I was a swimmer. Um, my life was about swimming. Um, by 12, I was expected to make the Olympic games in Sydney. And so the pressure at 12, coincidentally, my body started changing. And so I started attributing this, like this, this increased amount of pressure athletically and this desire to make the Olympics with my, 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 my value. And then as my body changed and I was putting more pressure on myself, I started slowing down. And so the, the short story is that I did not make the Olympics, but that, um, I did swim through college and, um, but the whole time, you know, beating myself up and saying, you know, like, you're not living up to your pent- your potential. It's because you're carrying these extra 10 pounds. And I would, um, I mean, I did every eating sore possible and the, like any, you know, type A perfectionist, the mastery where I think most people don't realize that, um, how many people actually struggle with, with disordered eating or, or eating disorders is that if you're good at it, you can hide it really well. Mm-hmm. And you can also convince yourself that you don't have an eating disorder. You think I'm just you know, just doing this for my sport or, you know, um, just trying to lean out so that I can get faster. It's, it's, this is, this isn't a problem. Um, but it was a problem and, um, it was a problem for a long time. And then eventually, um, I was, a uh, actually went to school, um, and swam through college, like I mentioned, but I got, um, my degree in French and Spanish. So, um, I didn't, what are you going to do with languages? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. And I was like, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. So I moved to France And, um, after college and lived in France for about a year and a half. And so like my big aha and I would, and so like, I actually got a job for the, with the French government. It's pretty funny. Like just very like, like French is that, uh, I worked like eight hours a week and got paid full time. So I did Jack squat over there. (laughs) I I totally imagine you wearing a beret and stripes. (laughs) Seriously. I got, I would. They'd, they'd be like, go have a free day. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we're, we're like, you know, revolting today about something. Okay. So I spent a lot of time in cafes and I spent a lot of time with coffee or with wine. I mean, depending upon the time of day, I was at a cafe and because I really wanted to, I'm such a, like, I struggle with wanting to be a type A perfectionist and I wanted to make sure that no one knew I was American. Like there's, Americans have such a bad rep over there, especially <laughs> the sense. And I was like, not me. I'm going to have perfect French. It's going to be perfect accent, perfect accent. So I was like, I need to make sure my vocabulary re- reflects that. 
So I would sit for hours and this sounds, I'm, I'm revealing the nerd that I am, but, um, hours and hours at these cafes with the dictionary. Like, and I would just look around and any word I saw, I'm like, Oh shit, I don't know that word. Let me look it up. And I would like, you know, make sure I knew everything. And so at those cafes, I started watching, just watching French women. And I'm like, how are they so confident? Like they are so beautiful and they carry themselves so differently and such a different pace of life than what I was used to in, in the United States. And so that there was this like one day and I sat there, I'm like, what, I, you know what? I don't know how to say that's a confident woman. You can say like, like if, if for any of you that speak French, you can't say les confidants, that it doesn't translate. And you can say there's, I looked up in my dictionary and there literally is no word for confidence in French. Hmm. One that we would convey the same. So the way they actually, if I were to describe someone in French and I said, she's confident, I would say elle est bien dans sa peau which simply means she's well in her skin. And I was like, holy, that's it. Mm -hmm. To be well in your skin. So my like breakthrough was just from looking up a freaking word in the dictionary and understanding that what I had been, what I had been searching for for that long wasn't about my physical, like it wasn't about externally. It was about starting from the inside out and being well in your skin. And then, so from then on, I've sort of been, I've been studying and, and trying to, to, understand the the psychology that starts on the inside of how to love the skin that you're in today. And it, you know, it's what you, you talk about a lot with self-love and it's, I mean, that so profoundly like changed me of being like, I've spent my life wanting to be like these other women who I think are confident, but I'm like, the confidence is, it's bullshit. It's not, it's, it's knowing how to be you. It's being well in one skin. So that's, that's my story in a nutshell, man. It's it's crazy how a couple words can shift your whole reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a great story. You had to move <clears throat> halfway across the world to <laughs> to realize that. But what a great place to be in. A lot of wine to 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 open my eyes to see. Yeah. Well, I think you said something um, that really stood out to me, and that was that was especially profound. And that's and that's looking at it from the inside out. And that was really the secret. And I think that we as Amer in this culture, as American women have it backwards. And we think that we, we start from the outside in and I have a really similar story. And, you know, for a long, long time, I had what, what probably everyone thought was perfect on the outside. You know, I had this, this gorgeous boyfriend and, um, and relationship and, um, had everything going for me and, you know, it was the quintessential American dream. But inside I was just, I felt like something was always wrong with me. And I'm like, what the hell is it? It was, and I blamed everyone else. I'm like, well, it's gotta be his fault. It's gotta be my parents. It's gotta be, I'm in the wrong job. It's gotta be, I need to lose weight. That was a big one for me too. And, uh, and I, and then you're right. And that was my aha moment years later too, where I was like, Oh, none of that really matters until I get my insights. <laughs> all yep. fixed up. But, um, so what do you, I, I know that we just mentioned one of them, but what do you think is the biggest problem or problems that are, that are also contributing to negative body image that women can actually gain control over and change? Absolutely. Well, I, I definitely, you're right. I definitely mentioned it. My, my biggest thing, and, I, and truly as a, as a, as a personal trainer and having worked with so many hundreds of women and myself, I really think one of the most consistent things is this, this idealized pursuit of perfection. You know, it's this like non-existent mirage and it, it, what it does is it promotes this constant state of comparison. It's like, 
it's like we've taught ourselves that in order we this you know superwoman syndrome that we want to we can be everything and, and and we want everyone to think that we've got it all together and so we we spend so much time living in fear of what others think of us and or fear of never being good enough that it ends up controlling us. It's like this, like, I, I kind of like liken it to this hamster wheel that you start running because you convince yourself, I'm strong, I'm, I can do this, I, I can manage everything, I can make it look easy. But then we lock, we get locked into that hamster wheel and it, it, it once, then you can't get out. And uh, what I, I think it's like, when I think about perfection and it's, you know, it's just, it's culturally acceptable to be like, oh, and I've already said it a few times oh, and I say it because I know people will understand what I'm talking about, but, oh, I'm type A, don't mind me. Oh, I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, I know. It's such a bad habit. It's not a bad habit. It's a destructive it's habit. It's destroying you. Yeah. I say the same thing. And, and so I loosely use it, but I also have to catch myself and, and be honest and on a daily basis. Okay, Trish, how don't use that as loosely. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, Hey, just be like, well, I'm a perfectionist, so I'm going to, I'm going to just do it anyways. And, and that's, that's my own battle. Um, but I also think like, I look at life on like a, a spectrum of fear or love. And I know that, um, I, one of my favorite things about your book, Andrew, was, um, your, your, your chapter on self-love. And so, um, if, uh, for any of those, anyone that's already read that, you know what I'm talking about, but like this love, you know, self-love is the new black. I love that mm-hmm. because Perfectionism is all fear-based. Yeah. And I look at it and, I, and when I'm working with people and working with myself, to be honest, I want to ask myself, okay, everything I do is either one, one side of the spectrum. It's either fear-based or love-based. And what, which, what am I going to engage in today? And each, each decision we make is, is, is directing us one way or the other. And perfectionism is driving us towards this fear-based thing that's always destructive. And it's crazy how naturally we buy into it. I think simply because it's, it's approved by, by our culture. Yes. Oh, so, um, yeah, I, I guess my answer to that is fear and perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And I would just encourage people today, like, I don't know, and, and I'm going to do it too. I mean, I, look, I've already done it. Don't, it's not okay to, 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 to justify your actions by saying, well, I'm just a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's saying like, oh, I've got an addiction. Don't worry about me. I'll just keep going. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just on my fifth pack of cigarettes today. It's Okay. <laughs> socially acceptable and like, and you can kind of accomplish a lot and make it look like you're valued or you've done something. It's, it's just, it's this giant lie that we all buy into. So mm-hmm. if you're a perfectionist or you claim these perfectionist tendencies out there, I just encourage you to, to just challenge yourself every time you, you, you justify your actions by doing that. And it's hard. Look, I've done that for 30 years of my life. So when breaking a habit, it, and, and not not breaking it, but substituting it for for something positive, it, it's a lot easier said than done. It's one day at a time, and ah. and that's that's the way I look at it. And <clears throat> you know, for people that that know me, know I take a lot away from twelve step programs, and that's one of their little sayings is one day at a time. And I love that because as a recovering perfectionist, um, sometimes I take my self help uh, <laughs> on that same train. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to handle this, you know, perfectionism and comparison thing. And then, uh, you know, like wash my hands of it. I'm done. I'm good. But it's really not the case. And and it's something that, you know, I, I was really honest with people when I, when I wrote the book and the three hardest chapters for me to write were the chapter on perfectionism, comparison, and letting go of control. And uh, I think that part of it is just my nature and personality. And part of it is... I, it, 
it's, it's our culture and, you know, what you and I were brought up in and, and what our culture has made okay and normal and celebrated, unfortunately, celebrated this superwoman persona of, of having to do it all and doing it really, really, really well almost perfectly. And that's why I've, I've based a lot of my business and a lot of my blog posts, even a lot of my podcasts by talking about the messy parts. Cause I feel like the more as women, we talk about our struggles and our, our quote unquote failures and falling on our face and getting back up and trying again, that encourages real self-love. It encourages real personal development and self-growth and just encourages an amazing life because None of us, A, none of us are fearless. Like, I hate the word fearless. Like it just doesn't exist. Uh, we have fear and we just kind of move past it. <laughs> and none of us are perfect. So I, I and I, I love the work of Brene Brown. I'm sure you're familiar with her, but her work has changed my life. And, and, and much of it is based on like what you're saying, just the perfectionism and comparison. It's just, it can destroy you. So I really like what you were saying. And, and I call it watching your language and just being really aware of, of what, what you're saying to yourself and what you're saying to other people. It's, it's way bigger. I think sometimes than we even realize. There's definitely been times in my life where my paycheck ran out before I got paid again. And I wish I could have accessed my next paycheck a few days before I was due to get it. Well, what if I told you that can happen with Earnin? Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for anything you need to, therapy visits, rent, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I love that. I love what you called it, recovering perfectionist. I'm going to start. Yeah, yeah. You need to be one with me. <laughs> starts. I love that. That is an amazing way to phrase it because you, you remind yourself that you are not who you used to be. I think that's a really freeing thing to understand as well. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, I can fall back. I can fall back pretty easily. And I think that, you know, with the, the birth of the internet, I think really it helped us a lot, but it also opened up this whole can of worms with comparison. And we create these ideas of who these, you know, these 2d images of people and, and, and really it's just, it's, it's really never the case. And I, um, when I find myself kind of imagining and making up stories about other people and how great their life is as compared to my more messy life, I have to remind myself, like, she still has pain. She still compares herself to other people. She's still very normal. She still has problems in her business, just like everybody else. And so, um, yeah, recovering perfectionist. Cause I still slip back sometimes. It's my, it's my, um, it's definitely my poison. That's for sure. <laughs> I'd say it's mine as well. I, I mm, that's a beautiful way to phrase it. Yeah. Thanks. And, and, um, I want to talk briefly about eating disorders because I know you mentioned it before and, and you and I both have had the same struggle. And, and I know that you know that our media shows dramatic images and, and tells us these, these really drastic stories of what an eating disorder looks like. You know, the emaciated woman who's just skeletal, um, you know, people that have lost all of their teeth because of bulimia. Right. But that's not, you know, what I found out and I believed that for a long time. So I myself in my own struggle thought I was the exception because that wasn't my life. You know, I never, I never, <clears throat> um, for instance, I never stopped getting my period, which is, 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 is to be clinically diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. That has to be one of the criteria that you check off is, is the loss of menses. I never went there. Um, although I was losing my hair and um, <laughs> wasn't sleeping and other like horrible symptoms that that probably um, sadly could have killed me, but I I exempted myself and um, I found out about what is called EDNOS and it's it's simply eating disorder not otherwise specified. It's basically for for people that um, still exhibit a lot of characteristics but don't fall into the clinical categories of anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa. So. Let's. Um, I'd love to have a, a conversation with you about symptoms that are important for women to look for because I many times I haven't blogged about this or even talked about it in a long time, but I've had several women email me and say, "Oh my gosh, when you wrote about that and talked about that, I completely um, can relate to that." So thank you. So so what do you think, or, or what were your symptoms? Well, I you know I actually <laughs> twin was very much like. <laughs> I mean, I, and I definitely had, I mean, I would say I had about half of the symptoms of almost like of various different, um, issues, and, but I could never be like clinically diagnosed. And, and I sort of like, I guess was uh, prided myself on that a little bit, say, well, see, I don't have a problem. And I justified it. And that's why, I mean, that's why I went on for a freaking decade for me. Like right now, that's a third of my life. I look like, I'm like, look at that. I'm 30 years old now. And 10 years of that was spent in that, in that darkness. It's, it, it's awful. Um, and it's because I didn't have clarity or an understanding of uh, the, the endos, the, the eating disorder is not otherwise specified because as soon as I finally about, I'd say eight, seven to eight years into it, when I f truly was like, okay, you can't continue life like this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I learned about that and I went, wait, oh wait, so I can have an issue, but not be one of these, the, these extremes. And as my research went on and as my honesty, actually my own self-reflection and self-honesty uh, improved about like what was actually going on, I realized that that one food was food was my drug. Um, control was an issue. Mm -hmm. And actually that the that that the people that are struggling with eating disorders, I think I flipped it and thought about okay, disordered eating patterns. Okay, disordered eating pattern um isn't isn't 
not isn't you know a small deal. It's still a big deal, and that's still an eating disorder. Just I like the word disordered eating better because it it allowed me to actually take ownership. And then once mm-hmm. I took ownership of that, okay, I have disordered eating and exercise patterns. Okay. What does that really mean? Okay, so I have an eating disorder. I need help. Like, I have an addiction. I have a, a, a something serious going on. And, and as far as symptoms, I mean, the ones I see, I, and you're right, it, it drives me crazy that the media shows these emaciated women. My, my personal experience with myself and with working with other people in this, with similar um, symptoms is that typically we're five to 10 pounds over the weight that we'd like to be. Mm-hmm. We look super. <laughs> So no one thinks, no one thinks there's a problem. And because there's so much that's going on and, um, you know, sometimes I, I typically am looking for with people, especially being in the gym environment that I'm at oh, so frequently over exercising. It's the, oh my gosh, like if it's so easy to justify and it's like, oh wow, you're so committed. Like you get this praise for yes. engaged these, these addictive behaviors. So over exercising, um, uh, Exercising, working out to make up for what you just ate. Mm-hmm. Um, so punishment exercise, um, emotional eating. I think a binge eating and emotional eating is so, so um, just ingrained in, in so many people's lives, but there's so much shame that's associated. And if you're a fan of Brene Brown, you you, should, you probably read her stuff on shame. And um, I, I think it's so powerful Like that, that if you can be vulnerable enough to admit that, that you're emotionally eating and, 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 and binge eating often alone or at night, um, that that's an actual issue and that, mm-hmm. that, that you addressing that, but the people think, Oh, I'm just on my period or oh, I'm just hormonal or, um, it's, it's more, to, I was a binge eater. It's mortifying to tell people what you actually eat when you're in that kind of state of mind. It's, mm-hmm. it's horrible. So you don't tell anybody. So then you think the problem exists. Um, but it does. And then, you know, then you're, you gain that weight and then you overexercise. It creates this crazy cycle of, of exercise and, and binging. And, um, uh, also, obsessive calorie counting, mm-hmm. um, our food groups, um, constant dieting, uh, like yeah, I mean, just self hatred in general. Like all of it is 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 self hatred. And it, one thing that was a breakthrough for me is I knew that eating what I was doing to myself was was hurtful to myself, but I didn't actually think of it as hurting self. I don't know that it's such a small distinction. I knew I was like, oh, okay, so this isn't good for me, but I'm okay. Yeah, but then that's interesting. I thought about it as like I'm actually hurting. Like it's like I'm cutting myself every single time I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't I, it, metaphorically. I I was. Um, you know, and then years later, you find out you have got all these these side effects. Like I've got crazy digestion issues now. Um, <laughs> I'm like can't tolerate half the food that I would love to eat now, um, just because I messed up. I messed up my 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 stomach lining, my esophagus so much. Um, but, um, another thing that people don't, don't actually, I was thinking about one more, one more symptom here is propensity towards laxative products. There are so many women that, that survive on coffee or survive on laxative pills that they don't tell people about, um, or like even something as simple as Metamucil and just overuse of a product to, to promote, um, a laxative effect is, is a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's one to easy to disguise. Huh. Yeah. <clears throat> no, those are, those are all great examples of, of symptoms that, that are under, under the category of disordered eating. And, and I, I do, I like that, that distinction too, of disordered eating versus eating disorder, you know, and cause, cause we know, we, we know, we think that what an eating disorder actually looks like, and it's not 
really the case of <clears throat> what most women are are struggling with. And yeah, I had a lot of the same symptoms. And and for me, I wasn't I wasn't much of a binge eater. Um, I, I don't know why it just never became my nemesis. But for me, it was it was major calorie restriction and um, and over exercising. And like just today, you and I were talking before we started recording. And and I'm I'm doing insanity right now. And and they <clears throat> they um, the plan of it is to work out six days a week, which which I'm okay with. But I, I had I'm I'm on like a five day in a row streak, and today it just kind of didn't fit in with my schedule, and and I and my body was my body's tired. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the day off. Like now it's just, it's so second nature for me to listen to my body and know it is absolutely 100% okay to take the day off. So the old me 10 years ago would have not taken the day off. And if for some reason I had to, because I, because of time or something like that, I would obsess on it and just, and not be able to think about anything else except somehow, some way getting this workout in, no matter how my body felt, no matter how tired or sore or hurt my legs were. That's how I used to be. I mean, I used to be on the treadmill and just my legs were just begging me to stop running. And like, I'm getting emotional even thinking about it just because it's so vivid and looking down at the, like I still to this day have a really hard time running on the treadmill because those memories come back to me and looking and seeing like how many calories the treadmill says I'm burning, even though we know, know that's not totally accurate, but like how much, oh, I can get in another mile. It's only 10 more minutes. Like I can, and just pushing and pushing and pushing and literally, literally not having enough fuel, not having enough calories in my body to support that exercise. And, um, and just, and, and I, what you said about that, that outside praise from, I, I got it so much from other women when I started to lose a lot of weight, one of the times, you know, cause mine was cyclical. Like I would come in and out. I, I, I say that like I, I had like an on and off again relationship with my disordered eating for me. It got really bad whenever I was in crisis. It was, it was my go-to addiction and I would get, you know, I would start withering away and drop a couple of sizes and women would be like, Oh my gosh. What are you doing? What diet are you on? You look amazing. And I'm inside. I'm thinking, I am starving. I am yeah. starving. Can someone please tell me it's okay to have a giant bowl of spaghetti? Because that's all I wanted. And I remember my mom, my mom lived a couple hours away from me at the time. So I didn't see her that often. But she came to have lunch with me one day at work and her mouth dropped open when she saw me one time. And she, she held my arms away from my body and was looking at me and was just like, she looked at me and she said, are you eating? And it was just like, you know, it was like, that was one of those huge red flags that hit me over the head that was like, this might not be healthy way of living. <laughs> like, if my own mother is that worried, it might not be good. But uh, yeah, it just, I think that for me, it was something that I thought I could control because I felt like I had no control of anything else. I felt like I had no control of love. I wanted my boyfriend at the time to marry me and he would not propose. And really, it went, when, when, what I learned was that if I felt like I had to control something, it already had control over me. So, um, and, and, I'll, and really the biggest thing that was lacking there for me was self-love. And it took me a long time to realize that because I blamed everyone else and thought that if I could just get this, then I would be loved. Yeah. Oh, um, that's, I mean, you're right on. It's, it, it, it's like, it always goes back to self-love. Me, a lot of this stuff was so, it's like the competitive. It's how do I, how am I compared to her? Am I prettier than her? Cause I'm skinnier mm -hmm. than 
that ties into the original story that I, I shared with you guys about about you know this competitive swimming and and the the pressure that was put on me and the the value I felt that was associated with being the best and even and you know when you and I were talking before we started recording today, um, you know I mentioned that I'm, right now I'm really into surfing and snowboarding and. Um, the funny thing is, is, um, I, I can be quite competitive in running in triathlons and had some, had some pressure to go pro for, for triathlons. And, and I had to step back because I know that my competitive nature is good, but I also know that it can, it can feed into these old addictive patterns. Um, and so I have to be very careful with, with how much competition I get into. Um, whereas like surfing and snowboarding, like you can't, I, I'm not at a level I can mm-hmm. compete at. I never be. I should just go do it for fun, enjoyment, like the enjoyment of movement. Because um, if I get into a sport, I'm going to start immediately engaging in like serious training for a sport at a like pro level. I'm, I the over exercising, the over competing, the having the perfect diet and the control. Oh my gosh, it's it's almost instant. I buy right back into it. So it's you <laughs> can recognize some of this stuff and these patterns. Like you said, you mentioned like you you need to be careful around treadmills because there's no reason to send yourself back to that that old that old place or mm-hmm. even have to that pain. It's like, once you can acknowledge and recognize where, where these, these like big sinkholes are for yourself, then you can start saying like, I don't have to live that way anymore. Yeah. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Bree. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Bree, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> and they're they're your triggers. And I know for me, like when anytime I sign up for a race, <clears throat> I love planning out my workouts. Like I count backwards the amount of weeks. I don't know if you do that too, but I'm like obsessive about it. Uh, and, and, you know, we were talking before, before the podcast and I've always wanted to do a half Ironman that's, so it would be, um, over a year from now and I haven't even done an Olympic length. So if you don't know half Ironman, it's, it's far, it's long. It's probably for me, it would be about a seven hour deal. And I've only done sprint triathlons thus far. And, and really lately I'm thinking, you know what, Andrea, like just go for an Olympic length, like take it easy. So I think finally, now that I'm pushing 40, I'm (laughs) I'm figuring it all out. (laughs) Just settle down. But I know I get, I just think it's some people's nature. Like we got a foosball for Christmas or foosball table for Christmas. And my husband and I have been having, I don't like to lose. I, we've just been having these heated matches and, and our kids are still too little to even play, but you know, he'll score on me and I'm like, no, and my kids look over and they're like, what? <laughs> it's a little bit out of control. I admit. <laughs> I Having done, having been a triathlete, I, I would recommend, I think, um, well, one, you for sure are capable of doing a half Ironman and that should be no question in your mind, but two, start with the Olympic. And if you enjoy it, then go up. But if you don't enjoy it, stick with your sprints. Right. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. It's just like, it's, ba- it, it, it's baby steps. And I, I wrote a blog post a long time about a time ago titled the curse of go big or go home. And I, I think it's, 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 it's one thing. And I think a lot of people that listen to my podcast, you, you know, you guys are ambitious, you're, you're go getters, you're movers and shakers. But I, what I think that you, what's good and healthy is to, is to be really aware of where you cross that line. Like where you get tunnel vision and just, and, and like nothing else matters. And so that's, that's the way it is for me. So I hope that's helpful for people listening. I don't know if it's that way for you too, Trish, but like I have to sometimes like take a step back, like what you were just saying about snowboarding and surfing, like, oh, okay. Movement, like that's the beautiful thing. Like that's what exercise is all about. Not about being the best, getting the gold medal, having a personal record, all those types of things. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you're right on. Yeah. I think. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I just said, I think you're right on. I think it's like, it's, it's all about that. It's that perspective. And I like how you said it. When you catch yourself going tunnel vision, Mm -hmm. that's, and it's, and it's, and it's like, when we start recognizing these red flags, we can start engaging in more self-love. It's, it's okay for the red flags to kind of rear their ugly heads. And, but as long as you acknowledge them and say, no, 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 I'm going to choose to love myself. I love my life enough to know that I need to, I'm going to enjoy it and celebrate it. Mm -hmm into this crap that I used to believe. Yeah. So, and for me, it's like when that real competitive edge comes in or the comparison and the perfectionism that, and and like what you said, it's all fear-based. And for me, it's my own inner critic telling me I need to be the best because if I am not, I am not worthy. I am not lovable, et cetera, et cetera, which is all complete bullshit. It really is. So it's, it, it, it's, and I love that you do that, the spectrum of, of fear and love. So, um, yeah, being uber competitive and, and trying to be the best really isn't self-love for me. It's not, it's fear-based. And so that's, I, I really like that distinction. And, uh, thank you for that. I learned something. <laughs> yeah. 
Love it. Okay, so I want to I want to have one more um, quick talk about something that I think that the people um, can can get some real great insight from. And so it is, you know, I think that a lot of women have this marker or milepost, and for many of them, it's weight. And so so she'll say, um, I I really like your idea of self love, Andrea, but. I, I'm, I've wanted to lose this 15 pounds for years now. Maybe it's, you know, wait after she had her kids or something like that. And, and, you know, I'll be confident when I lose X amount of pounds. So, so let's talk about what a woman can do now while she's on that way to getting back to, cause I believe that everyone has a natural weight and, um, and you might not feel comfortable when you're not there. So what can, Let's give some tools for the listeners about what can they do now while they're on their way or, or if they're not comfortable where they are, you know, weight wise. Yeah, absolutely. And the first thing I'll say is, um, cause I get that question too, um, a lot of times from my, from my listeners. And, um, I really don't believe that if then, or if when, or I'll be when mm-hmm. they always put you in the wrong state of mind, but they, we all engage in them. So with, I mean, that, that aside, um, I, I really, you're right. I, I love the idea of, of a natural set weight because it's about it going back to the French, like bien dans sa peau, like to be well in your skin. And that is going to be a certain weight. So if someone is looking to lose 15 pounds, 30 pounds um, or or more, yeah, you absolutely need to to get yourself to where you can feel comfortable. But that doesn't mean you can't start loving yourself today. I think where people go wrong is that they say, I'll decide to love myself when I get to that point. But then what happens is the self-sabotage that happens during that pattern, during that process, the the lack of self-love is like, self-love is like, like the fire to fuel you to be able to accomplish the things that you need to do. Like the discipline, the follow through, the, the honoring yourself, the, the committing to what, you know, whatever healthy eating patterns and, and, and that you're going to engage in or your workout schedule um, without self-love that you're not going to make it through that, that journey. It's, it's like you, you can kind of do it, but you'll end up going in this cycle that goes up and down and, and you're like, sometimes you're doing really good. So then you love yourself mm-hmm. and then sometimes you're the wagon. So you're bad. And then that starts bad habits and then you gain five pounds back. And then you think, wow, I can never get there. And then what that does is then it, it like aggravates and, and starts digging holes into your belief system. And when you lose your ability to believe in yourself, then you will never be able to get to that goal or that healthy weight that where you're going to feel good. Mm-hmm. So like if I would, if I were to think of on it, like a spectrum, I would go self love. So it starts with self love. And then that turn self love starts with goes into self acceptance. And when you can accept yourself for where you are today, 15 pounds of weight or hundred pounds of weight, you can accept that that's just the reality where it is, but that doesn't have anything to do with your value or, or your, your place in the world or your purpose in the world, then, then you can honor your body, start honoring yourself and your body by saying, okay, so what are the, what are the destructive things I've done to get myself to this unhealthy place that I'm at or a place of just maybe poor choices that I've made? How can I honor my body, my life, my purpose, my, what my, my ability to live life to the fullest by making good choices and really look at your, you know, what are you eating? Are you dieting or do you, are you improving your relationship with food? Cause a diet's not sustainable, but a, a good relationship with food is. Mm-hmm. And so that goes so self honoring leads to that self, that kind of the next step of self care um, and self care. Like you get confident. Like when you're taking care of yourself and you're feeling good, like confidence becomes natural. You start living well in your skin. And then that's where like, 
it, then it's like the results happen. It's amazing to see, like, and you and I were talking about like personal training clients. I can get anybody, and this is going to sound cocky, but you can too. You know, the, the science behind weight loss is simple. Mm -hmm. I can get any lose a hundred pounds. Yeah. Mark a good trainer is if I can actually get you to keep it off, or if I if you only need to work with me once a week, or if you need me seven days a week every day, and I'm monitoring everything you're eating, then I'm not making any sustainable change. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not about it's not about the weight, and and I think I mean you, you've said this before as well. Like it's it's not about the weight. It's about what's going on the inside it's yeah. an inside so the inside job starts with with deciding that and maybe maybe someone struggles to say like i don't know what self-love means right now that's okay like start with saying i don't know what it means but i'm choosing to accept myself now yeah and and, and then that becomes, begins the journey to move towards self-love um and then it you know then it's so much easier to follow through because you know you're worth you're worth it and, and more than that like I, i'm a big like i love belief. I think belief can, oh man, we, we're so self-limited with our, with our belief. And I think where a lot of people go wrong in the weight loss journey is, is they kind of think that they can do it. They really want to lose that 10 pounds, that a hundred, that hundred pounds, but they've failed so many times before that they've lost their ability to believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. They think, well, here, here I go again. So, but if you go in with that attitude, you absolutely won't get to that point. You have to change your belief system if you want to change your results. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Right, right, right on, sister. And I, I, I think the only thing I want to add there is, is I, um, I think that self love is such a foreign concept, and, and many women don't know what it is, what it looks like from from a practical standpoint. And, and you know, I teach a whole class every summer on it. And I think that for for well, I would say with all women, if you're not at a place of self love, the first step is to just make peace with who you are, with the decisions that you've made in the past. You might not be ready to completely forgive yourself for the things that you've done that you're still dragging around. You you might not be able to look in the mirror and and love who you are and say affirming things about how sexy you are. That's okay. That's a big step. That's like from jumping from A to Z, which I don't know anyone that can do that. I mean, there are still days where I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, I didn't never saw those stretch marks before. Those are new. And so uh, it's just about making peace because you are so much more, you're worth so much more than the sum of the parts of your body. And I, that's what I encourage women to do first and foremost is to just think about the language that you use. When you step out of the shower in the morning and you look at your naked body under those lights, what are you saying to yourself? When you're, when you're about to have sex with your partner and the lights are on and there's like a certain position, like what are you thinking about in, in regards to your body? Or what are you thinking that he's, what are you obsessing on? Cause I know y'all are obsessing, <laughs> not thinking. So that's what I ask people to do is just watch your language and just be aware of it and tweak where you can. And my best friend and colleague, she, I, I, I use this example all the time because I love it so much. And she had a client that always used to say, I'm having a fat and ugly day. I'm having a fat and ugly day. So they simply tweaked that to, I'm having a runner up day. In other words, like if she was in the beauty pageant, she wouldn't be winning first prize. <laughs> she'd be, she'd be runner up. So it's, it's simple things like that. And it might sound silly, but it can have huge, vast improvement on how you feel about yourself by the language that you're using, not only in your head, but in conversations with your friends, because we, our culture has made it acceptable to collude with our girlfriends about 
our bodies and how much we hate them and, 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 and all, you know, I don't need to explain it. You guys know what I'm talking about. So it really, I think in this world, in this topic in particular, it's about baby steps. And it's not about, it's not about overachieving when it comes to self-love <laughs> because it's, it's, it's a, it's a journey and none of us have arrived. And I'm sure you can agree with me, Trish, that it's like, it's just, it's, it's, it's the journey and it's not a list that you can check off. It's a, it's a list that you can look at and work on and keep coming back to it. Absolutely. I yeah. love that. I'm having a runner up day. Yeah. That, yeah. That changes everything. Second, second place. Yeah. <laughs> hey, cause tomorrow's first place. Maybe. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to have to wrap it up here. And uh, just real quick, I just wanted to tell you all, if you have not signed up for the 52 Ways Challenge, you can go to 52wayschallenge.com. It's totally free. It starts on March 1st. For It's actually 26 days long. You do get 52 challenges, but 52 days was just too long. Like, let's be honest. So I'm cutting it in half and you get two challenges a day, every day in your email box for 26 days, 52wayschallenge.com. And Trish, tell everyone where they can find you. And if you have any amazing free stuff on your site, let us know. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, you, you guys find my, um, my website is trishblackwell.com. It's super simple. And, um, if you love podcasts, which you obviously do, um, my podcast show is called confidence on the go. So you can find that it's a self-help podcast, or you can just Google, um, or iTunes search Trish Blackwell and you will get everything you need. And then, yeah, I've got some sweet videos that are, are free coaching. Um, if you go to my website, um, you'll just go to Trish Blackwell. You'll see the opt-in on the side and, um, it's, man, I just, I, I just love a community of people. Like I know that you are, that are, are interested in investing in yourself mm-hmm. and yourself more because like there is so much power be- behind the dominant effect that, that as a community that we have together. So I just want to thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be part of your show and your life today. So I just, Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad we finally got to connect. And all of those links that Trish mentioned will be in the show notes. So if you go to your kickass life forward slash 22, the letters two, two, uh, you could find everything there links to Trish's uh, podcast and her website and all that, that good stuff. So until next time, ask kickers, I will see you in cyberspace. Keep kicking ass. Bye-bye.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.